Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 333. Working Class Audio. Navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 333 you're listening to. My guest today is producer, engineer, and mixer Alex Crescioni. Alex is based in Los Angeles at his studio, Stygian Sound, located in the legendary Sound City Studio Complex, where he works with a wide variety of rock and metal bands. He's worked with artists on Nuclear Blast Records, Napalm Records, Wind Up Records, Craft Recordings, Frontiers Records, and many, many others. And I've followed Alex's career for a long time. We met some time ago, and I've been keeping an eye on what he's been doing, and I'm really happy that he's here to join me for a great chat. Alex Crescioni, coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Let's talk about sharing your knowledge. So you've been at this a while. Know how to do your gig well. In the studio, in the field, or on the set, your audio skills are expert level, we'll say. It's time to share that knowledge. As many of you are well aware, the great Al Schmidt passed recently. Al was a master engineer who had made so many great sounding records, had been awarded many Grammy awards, and is the only audio engineer to have a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. The great thing about Al is that he shared his knowledge and passion for recording with others. Whether it was college kids or mixed with the masters or books or videos, Al gave us information that we could all use and learn from. There are those that think hoarding knowledge is critical to their success. I say that's selfish, foolish, and short-sighted. If you are so paranoid about people taking your secrets about audio, then you have bigger problems. Sharing knowledge benefits us all. The thing that makes us unique is our ears. If you give two people the same tools and maybe the same song, and maybe even, let's say, let's dial it down even more to the same Pro Tools template. It is inevitable that they will come up with a different result. They're going to have different perspectives on the same thing. Giving is a rush. Giving gifts to people, helping people out. It's the same in audio. When you have a willing student who is hungry for knowledge, it gives me a huge thrill to share knowledge with them. So my advice is reach out to professors at your local community colleges or universities and offer your help. Some of these colleges pay, but some of them don't. But look, this is not about money. This is about passing info around to make sure everyone is operating on a high level and is elevating the craft of audio and not degrading it. Mentoring is a great way to also share knowledge. These days it can be done virtually if you need, So if you come across someone you can make time for, do it. Share, teach, educate. Make sure the next generation of audio pros are getting the info they need to succeed. This should not be every person for for themselves. If we walled off the knowledge that we have and prevented others from getting it, then audio would just suffer down the road. 
Don't be afraid to give out information. Share it with everybody. That's my rant. Thanks for listening. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Eben are two of the nicest people on the planet. Easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might have met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might have heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I have used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty, pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You could talk with me about it. As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom. Very simply, just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. That's it. Let's get to it. Alex Crescioni here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I've known about you for a long time. We we met some time ago, I don't know, some trade show, and I can't remember through Bam, who. Yeah. Did you just say Bandcamp? No, Nam. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know that one time at Bandcamp? Right. Yeah, I was hanging out with Mike Wells and... He introduced me to you. That's right. That's right. Former WC, I guess, Mike Wells. And I've been just kind of keeping an eye on what you've been doing 
kind of really quietly <laughs> for some time. You know, Whoa. I see your posts and you're definitely doing stuff. And I was just intrigued. This last thing that you did, and you're just going to have to forgive me right off the bat because I have a hard enough time keeping track of my own projects, much less everybody else's projects. But you yeah. just, you did something recently that I was just like, I got to bring Alex on. It's time. Cool. Which one was that? The one where the woman's holding the smoke thing in the video. and Oh, yeah. That's three-headed snake. Three-headed snake. Okay. Mm -hmm. With that in mind, it's good to have you here. You know where this goes. So tell me about your upbringing and the role that music or audio played in your upbringing. All right. Well, you know, when I was growing up, my mother was always... She always had music playing in the house, all kinds of different stuff. You know, she... She played Motown, she played Broadway, she played lots of Prince, Tracy Chapman. So I was like just engulfed from the very beginning. And um, I started learning piano, but from, I don't know if you've heard of the Suzuki method, mm -hmm. but it's more of learning by ear instead of by theory and reading, which I did end up learning later. But I just developed an ear at a really young age and I was, I love the piano. And then I eventually switched to guitar and it just evolves from there into like all kinds of different paths from that point. But it started deep within me from the very beginning. And I remember she would, my mom would play classical music for me, like as I was going to bed as a little kid and um, she would play musicals and stuff. And I remember there was this one, oh, you know that the old um, story, Peter and the Wolf? Mm -hmm. She would play like the music to that. And I ended up like really being afraid of it because it was like kind of <laughs> creepy. And uh, I remember when one time my parents took me to Disneyland and like that wolf was there or whatever. And I like, or some wolf was there and I like freaked out. But yeah, my, my mom and dad were very supportive from the very beginning. Yeah, it just started from there really like very early on in my childhood. When did audio come onto your radar as something of interest to you? I think... What planted the seed for audio specifically in recording was at some point I acquired a uh, four track recorder. I think my mom got it for me, like from a garage sale or something. And I was like, what's this? And I started messing around with it. And at that point, I was, I had, you know, a few guitars and a couple little amps. So I just started messing around with, like, I really love the idea of, wow, I can record one thing and then overdub over that record something else and i just was fascinated by that and i think that's what really planned the seed for that it took me a while before i realized that i wanted to be in the studio because like in the beginning i just wanted to be in bands and do the rock star thing which i learned wasn't really what i was meant to do i still love playing in bands and that kind of career path that people choose but i i feel like personally for me just being in the studio is it's more true to me but yeah, it was it was all from that tape machine, the little uh, four track. Why do you think, because I think this happens to a lot of us. I know it happened to me. When you come to the conclusion that you're like, you know what? I like music and I like playing, but I really don't want to spend my time trying to be a rock star anymore. Yeah. Why do you think that happens? What, how did it, what, what, what occurred for you? Well, for me, I realized I don't like the lifestyle. Like I respect people that, that do and that they love to tour they love to be on the road they love to be in a different venue every night travel the world that's great but for me i like i like having a home base i've learned over the years that as much as i i do like to travel and see different places but i i learned that i'm not the kind of person that wants to be on the road all the time i want to have my home base my, my studio and just work on records but yeah i feel like 
it just wasn't the right lifestyle for me. It's just not something I felt like I could keep up with long term. And, you know, it's like, it's just, it's brutal. It's a grind, you know, and I wanted to maintain relationships and mm. just like I said, have the sense of home because I feel like I thrive that way. Yeah. It's really, like I said, I respect people that that is their thing that, you know, and a lot of um, engineers I know, like they went down that kind of path. Like, well, I don't know if I want to be a rock star or a musician or um, an engineer or producer and just like still trying to figure out which one is best for them. But for me, I just somewhere around in my early to mid 20, I was like, yeah, I, I feel like I'm just going to be in the studio for the rest of my life instead of touring and all that. I'm glad to hear you say that because I, I felt the same way. It's like, well, I like I like maintaining relationships. I like the home base feel. I like being yeah. in the studio. So mm -hmm. all, all those things. Yeah. So when did audio take a turn in the professional direction for you? When did it become serious? Okay, well, to fast forward a little bit, I always had a feeling through junior high and high school, like just so committed to music and New metal was huge at this time. This was like around 2000s when I was in my freshman year of high school and I graduated in 2004. But I had a feeling, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a lifer at this. Like, I don't know exactly what part of the industry I'm going to be specializing in, but I knew this is who I'm going to be. And what happened was I ended up getting into Musician Institute. So I went to study guitar theory and performance. And then after that, I did audio engineering at MI. Mm -hmm. And I just found myself so fascinated with being in the studio, all the gear, just literally everything about it. So I went to music school right after high school and I just submerged myself in that. And it just came very obvious to me quickly that audio is going to be my thing. So after that, I spent some time doing my own thing, recording my own music. I was still in a couple bands, but I decided one day, I was like, yeah, you know what? Because I had some not so great experiences working at other studios in Hollywood. And mm. I'm like, I, I wasn't cut out to be that intern that was looked down on for years. Like no one told me, okay, like you're going to have to just accept the fact that if you want to be like a head engineer at one of these big studios, you're going to be pawn scum basically for a few years being treated like shit. And nobody said, I didn't have much guidance in this regard. Like, okay, you're going to really have to go through a lot of shit at these studios if you want to really have a chance there. And, and then and even going through that, you're not even guaranteed anything anyway. So I won't really get into like the, the details, but let's just say... I was very, very disappointed with the experience. And I'm not saying I wasn't treated well, but there's some things I was expected to do that I was just like, this is not what I want to do. This is not why I got into audio. So I decided after those experiences, I'm like, you know, what? I'm just going to go for it. And I got a loan and I started my own studio. And I just from there, just a roller coaster ride from there of mm. all kinds of different experiences and bands and extreme ups and downs. And I wanted to give up so many times, Matt, it's just like unbelievable. <laughs> what kept you from stopping? What kept you motivated? It's because I still feel this way, even though like at this point, you know, I'm 35 now. And when I started my first studio, I was about 20, 21, 22 around there. And I've never stopped even through all the hard times and even through all the times when I really wanted to give up because I knew it was like, if you just keep going, you keep pushing through it and 
all these times when you want to give up, you just have to keep going because I knew at some point it would all pay off and it, mm. and it has, it's paid off way, way more than I thought. And, you know, I'm still, still have a long way to go. So yeah. I'm proud of myself for not giving in to those, all those uncomfortable times, if you know what I mean. Yeah, just, I, I know it, it's, it's who I am. It's what I'm meant to do. So at this point, I know it, like I said, um, it's a, it's a marathon for me. So I feel like I can get through any situation at this point. Yeah. And it's a lot of people do want to quit and they do. And then they look back and they regret that, but it mm -hmm. takes a lot of courage to stick it out sometimes when it's rough financially, when it's rough with clients or any number of things can happen. Yeah. So let's talk about your studio itself that you're in currently. Mm -hmm. Tell me if I'm wrong about this. I'm under the impression that there's these buildings in Los Angeles in the area that cater to small studios, almost like a rehearsal room facility would re would cater to bands, you know, in a rehearsal situation. So am I wrong about that? No, there's a lot of different commercial buildings throughout the Valley, throughout Hollywood that they do house mixed suites, production suites, et cetera. And in a way I am in one of those. I'm in the Sound City complex, which I'm sure you know all the history of that, of Sound City. But when you approach the building, there's a, there's a whole front building. It's two stories and it has different suites that the owner, Sandy Skeeter, she rents out. And most of the people in here are all musicians with production studios. There's one suite that someone has a notary or something, but every other suite is studio people. So... Yeah, that's true. There are a lot of those spread out throughout Los Angeles and, and the Valley, like a lot of them all out in the, in the city. And some of them are great. Some of them are a little bit rough in bad parts of town, like mine, Sound City. We're here like right on the border of Nuys and Panorama City. And ever since I moved in here, it's just gotten escalated with really gnarly gangs and lots of drug addicts. And it's it's gotten pretty sketchy at times. But I've never really had any gnarly experiences with no one's tried to like break into the studio, but it's just been pretty crazy. And there are lots of studios spread out that are kind of in not so great areas as well. Yeah. It's definitely that kind of situation. And you and Matt Wallace are within close distance of one another, right? Mm -hmm. His studio is right across from the main entrance of the official Sound City studio, which is now, I'm not sure who's renting it out now, but before it was Fairfax Recordings, Kevin Agunas was renting it out. But yeah, Matt is right across from that main studio. Okay. And when you're in these type of situations, it's mostly studios. And with the exception of, you say, one notary, I can guess if anybody <laughs> needs a notary where they're going to go. What are the spaces like in terms of, are they, are they big? Are they small? Are they expensive? They're kind of like little offices that everyone has built out into their own custom studio. When I first moved in here, I was across the hall. A couple of years after that, I moved into this other unit and then I took over the one next to it. So now I have like, I have a double unit basically. So it's not too expensive. It's actually a really good deal for what you get compared to a lot of the other studios in Hollywood. Because yeah, I mean, we are we are here in Van Nuys, at uh, the very northern border of Van Nuys. So it is sketchy, but it's fine because it's affordable and it allows it allows us everyone in here to we've all been here for years. So it's not like I've heard about 
different engineers and producers, they get this really sick, sweet studio like somewhere in Hollywood and it's expensive and they just can't maintain it over the years because when work dries up and you have like this really expensive studio rent and it's like sometimes it's just not doable long-term. So I'm grateful for that because it is affordable here. But yeah, they're decent sized mix suites basically. And the guy next to me, his name's Benny Williams. He has a hip hop studio and he has a three unit space. So he has like a lounge and then the control room and then a booth. So I have my mix suite and then the room next to me is my lounge and I'll do vocals in there whenever, but I'm mainly just mixing and mastering in here. Yeah, I mean, it's it's laid out really nice and it's been great so far. And yeah, Matt's has a really nice studio. There's all kinds of different spots spread out through Sound City. I've seen people come and go and yeah, man, it's just, I'm really lucky to have gotten in here. It's a really nice spot. You know, the history is amazing. Every day, like when I walk in to work, I'm like, damn, I can't believe I'm here. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, the history of this place, man, it's just, it's incredible. Let's talk about your clients for a bit. So, and, and mm -hmm. how you run the business. First of all, I'm going to make a leap of faith because I've done so many of these interviews and it seems like every time I ask this question, the question, the question is, is how do you get clients? And the answer is always, oh, it's word of mouth. Is that the case for you? That's part of it. For me, it's always been very random. I would say maybe 60% of it is word of mouth, but I still am confused by it to this day. Like, I don't know how people find me sometimes because I'll just get random emails or people will contact me through my website, through my contact page. I don't always ask, but sometimes I'll ask, oh, well, how did you, uh, how did you find out about me? And some people will say, oh, I just I did a Google search and your studio popped up or I searched metal producer, like industrial or gothic or whatever. And every time I'm kind of just surprised, I'm like, wow, it's great to have that information, like how people are finding you. But at the same time, I kind of just let things happen naturally at this point. Cause you know, there was a while when I was for starting and struggling, I was just constantly reaching out and being like, okay, this band sounds great. I'd like to work with them. So I'd send in emails, kind of like cold emails, but I don't do that anymore because I found that if somebody really wants to work with you and they've heard your work, they'll contact you. I don't like to be that producer, mixer, engineer that is like constantly hounding bands because that word gets around. You know what I mean? Yeah, man, it's just been... It's all over the place. Sometimes people will message me through Instagram, sometimes direct emails, sometimes website. So I'm still trying to figure out the best way to go about. I don't know. It's still a mystery to me, but I would say maybe 60% word of mouth and then 40 is just random inquiries, really. <laughs> it's strange. How do you vet the people that come to you to find out, you know, okay, is this really going to be worth my time? Because really every interaction you have, it's an investment in time. Right. And you've got to figure out like, is this worth my time? Do you have a process? Do you just take it as it comes and try to figure it out? Yeah, I do have a process. The first thing I'll do is well, I really appreciate when people do their research and they contact me through my website because that means they've invested more than just, oh, I see me on social media or they hear about me and just immediately think that I'm going to respond to their Facebook message, especially when we're not even friends. So I feel like when you're not friends with somebody, you'll often get filtered out. So that message will go into your spam or whatever. So I don't check that a lot. And I like when people, they go, okay, well, they take the time to do like even five minutes of research, research on somebody and be like, okay, they have a website. Let me go to their website because that's direct contact. So first, so first off, I'm I'm already like this is probably a better probability of working out. 
since they know already to go directly to my site. So if they go to my site, the first thing I do is I'll Google them. If I haven't heard of them, I'll Google them. If nothing comes up, if I can't even find them on Facebook or Instagram, then I'm like, mm, I don't know. Depending on what they're asking, maybe I'll send them some rates or whatever. But I really like to see... I like to see that they have a presence, that they have, you know, they have social media, they have a website, they have previous releases, just so I can really know that they're they're serious. Because you know what I get a lot, Matt, is like, it's took me a while to figure out what was going on, but like, I'll get other engineers or people that are like, say they're in bands or whatever, but they're kind of just fishing or they're wanting to like start their own production company or they wanted to start their own studio. And I've got a lot of people that will inquire like they want to work with me and they ask rates. And then I just find out later, like, oh, they just wanted to know what I charge. They had no interest in working with me. They just want to know, oh, I wonder what he's charging. I should probably charge at least that or less or whatever the reason is. So that's happened quite a bit. But I think I just do my research really. And if, if I can't find anything, then I'll respond, but I, I won't make it a priority to do it right away if I'm really busy. But it's mainly that just doing my own research on the inquiries. Sounds like if you don't see that they're serious, then you won't take it seriously. Mm-hmm. If, if they don't I seem did. to be taking their own career seriously. Yeah. I mean, at this point, at least, because, you know, like you said, time is so valuable. And I really get, I get frustrated when people inquire and they take up a lot of time and then you just find out they really weren't interested in working with you anyway, or they're just trying to get information or like that kind of thing. So that's frustrating. So at this point, it's just about, well, I need to see that you have it going on already or you're putting effort into it. You're not just coming out of the blue with with no music or you can't even, you know, I'll ask like, oh, can you send me a demo? They're, they're like, I don't even have, I don't have a demo or I, I don't have anything to show you. I'm like, I have no idea how to move forward then, you know? Yeah. Do you ever get these where in social media, somebody will just reach out and go, hi, Oh yeah, all the time. I don't. You're like, I don't even respond to those. It's like, what? <laughs> is this a scam? Yeah. Are you like, are you lonely or what is it you're expecting? It's just like blows yeah, my it's mind. Frustrating. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, how have you determined over the years what your value is financially? Like when you work with somebody, whether it's mixing or mastering, or if, if you're producing, how do you gauge what your time is worth? That's a tough one. I struggled with that for a while because I feel like in a way the market dictates what you're worth in a way. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I feel like you can charge whatever you want, really. You know, it's just about you have to have a, some kind of idea what the competition, what everyone else's rates are. And sometimes it's it's hard to know. But I think we all have an idea of like the top tier mixers and mastering guys. We know around what their rates are, give or take. And then the people more in my level because I talked to a lot of these guys it's like I know kind of what their rates are close to it so I'm the kind of guy that's like I know where I stand but at the same time when people are telling me like wow you're getting so much better it's like I'm never the, I'm never the guy to, to go like wow that I just nailed that you know I always find like <laughs> the things I don't like about my latest productions like I'm, I'll never be the person that's like yeah check out this latest mix I did it's so good like you'll never hear that I always nitpick Basically for me, it's like, as long as the client is happy, then I'm happy. But I kind of just, I raise my rates a little bit every year and I have peers that I converse with often. And there's one guy that I've been friends with and he's kind of a mentor for me. He's pretty big in the metal industry right now. 
his name's Chris Collier, but he and I, we've been friends for a while. And, uh, you know, every, every once in a while I'll ask him like, oh, so what are you charging right now for like a mix and a master? Just, just curious. And he'll just tell me. And I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, well, I shouldn't be charging that much because he's on a higher level. So I, at least I have some kind of gauge of what's appropriate. I really, at this point, it's like the people that want to work with me, I tell them my rates and if they really want to make it happen, they're just like, sure. And they don't really... They don't try to lowball or anything. Like the people that are serious, they're just like, tell me what your rate is and great. And then we write up a little agreement and it's done. But the people that are kind of just looking to mess around or they're not really serious, they'll be like, oh, well, can you do a full album for this much? And it's like super low. And I'm just like, mm, maybe like 10 years ago, but now, no. So I just keep my rates at what I feel is right. And it usually works out fine for the with the people that are really serious it's tough though sometimes to turn down a project like if you, if the workload's kind of light somebody comes in with like a, a semi low ball offer sometimes i'm like hmm what am i going to do if i take that and then something bigger and better comes in and that's right. that's always the struggle but then every time i take gigs when i'm basing it just on that mm -hmm. it, it just never works out you regret it yeah totally Exactly. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it, because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Sampley, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Sampley.app or Sampley.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Sampley.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Sampley.app. Check it out. I mentioned Matt Wallace a little while ago, and the reason I... I knew that he was in close proximity is because of a post of yours recently. You were bringing a pedal over for Matt to see if mm -hmm. I remember the post correctly. So what I got out of that was, hmm, did Alex create a guitar pedal? Is that, <laughs> well, is that the situation? Right now, I'm, it's a new venture I started very recently. My girlfriend and I decided to start this little side company because I have a good friend from high school that I had kept in contact with over the years. And uh, he's a genius with electronics and engineering. And he made a post last year. He had this fuzz pedal that he made. I'm like, oh, 
am interested because I'm such a pedal nerd. I love pedal boards and I get super nerdy into that stuff. I love fuzz pedals specifically. So I saw him creating these. I'm like, oh, I got to try it. So I bought one from him and he just, he had a cool design and uh, he just did a quick paint on it and labeling on it, like nothing super uh, detailed, but I, I tried it out. And I'm like, damn, this sounds really good. I haven't heard any other fuzz pedal like this. One of the my favorite genres to play and produce and work on in the studio is doom metal and doom metal. It's gone through all kinds of different phases, but it's very, very reliant on these extremely saturated, fuzzy, huge walls of guitars. And you can go down all kinds of different rabbit holes with layering. And there's so many different options, production options with Doom. So I heard this pedal, I'm like, damn, I love this thing. And it, I kind of sat with it just with that for a while. And then a kind of a light bulb went off in my, in my head a few months later. And I'm like, you know what? I know a lot of musicians and bands, and I think a lot of people would really like this. It just seemed like he needed a little help pushing it out into the world. So I talked to him about it. I'm like, do you want to go in on this together? And I'll, you do the engineering, you do the circuitry, and you just send me the parts and uh, we'll paint them, we'll put them together, we'll sell them, we'll market it, we'll do all that. And he said, yes. So we just, just went with it. And it took a while to figure out the design we want to do and the painting and like there's a lot to it still learning so much about it but i was like fuck it let's let's give it a shot and it's been going pretty good so far like we haven't put it up for sale yet but once i'm done with these demo videos i just want to have some really nice quality videos demoing it before we put it up for sale but it's it's going to be within the next few weeks yeah i just was like i got to try this kind of like what you said before it's like well you don't want to think back on, on an opportunity and be like, ah, man, I wish I would have given that a shot or I wish I wouldn't have given up on that idea. You know what I mean? So that's just kind of escalated from all that. I was out to lunch with Matt down the street and we we're just talking and I was like, hey, check out. I had this picture of the pedal on my phone. I'm like, look, I'm uh, got this new pedals that we're going to be putting out soon. And I was like, do you want one? And he's like, yeah, sure. And he then I was like, I'll just give you one. But he's like, no, I'll pay for it. Don't worry. I'm like, no, I'll I'll just give you one. He, he dropped, he dropped <laughs> and then arm over, wrestling like, ensued. Yeah, he just like insisted. I'm like, okay. But then once we finally got the first run in, I just went over to his studio and dropped it off. And he so happened to be that day doing a session with a guitar player, Michael Ward, who's done a lot of great, great albums. He was like, he played with the Wallflowers when they were starting but they used it on all the tracks that day i'm like hmm. okay cool like at least i know it doesn't suck so <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's kind of where we're at with that <laughs> so you mentioned this mentor and i'm curious yeah. including this mentor what role have mentors played for you well i would say more not in real life or in person but uh i did a project with tim palmer in 2013, I was in this band and I produced this track and I was like, hmm, I wonder if, if I reach out to Tim, because I'm such a huge fan of his work and his mixing and his production. So I was like, hmm, if I reach out to Tim, I wonder if he'll even like acknowledge me or, you know, respond. Maybe he'll mix this track for me. So yeah, he, he responded and um, I hired him to mix it. And then from then, like here and there, you know, we would just exchange messages and just, I'd ask him questions here and there, but he kind of helped me stay in the right direction, telling me like very, very simple things like just don't forget to compress well and little things like that. Nothing like really detailed or in depth, but mm -hmm. it was cool to have him just to know that I could be in contact with somebody 
like him because I, I still look up to him and he's phenomenal. I haven't talked to him in a while, but it's just cool to know that he acknowledged me and he was down to work with me and all that. So he, he has kind of been a mentor in a way. This other guy, Chris Collier, he, he's worked with some of my idols. He's working with Korn right now. He just did the new White Snake remix album that came out. He's great. He has like such a good ear. And he he invited me to um, go up to Jonathan Davis's studio in Bakersfield uh, a couple times for some sessions. Is that Jonathan Davis of Corn? Yeah. Okay. We went up there and did, we tracked drums for Prong, for uh, Tommy Victor's band Prong. And he had me assist on that because he was actually playing the drums. So he had me engineer for a couple songs. But th this was at Jonathan's studio. He he's been that guy I could count on to he'd be like, okay, what do you think of this mix? Just bouncing stuff back and forth with him. And he's just been a really solid friend and mentor. And I've learned a lot from him and it was cool. Like in the last few years, he's actually hired me to do some stuff and uh, I've hired him to do some stuff. Like I needed drum programming on this album I was working on and I didn't want to do it. And he, he's a drummer and he loves doing that stuff. So uh, he just went ahead and took care of that for me. But little things like that here and there over the years that we've done together. And I just cherish all those times, man, because like, he's the real deal. You need to have him on. He has so many great stories, worked with so many great people. But I would say those two, like I said, you know, I tried to, I tried the whole intern and, and runner thing at studios, but it just, I never got to the point where anybody would really like take me under their wing per se. So mm -hmm. I had to figure everything out on my own for a while, but I'm really happy with how things have turned out and where I am now. Yeah, that's that's kind of it with the with the mentors. <laughs> it is interesting though. I mean, it it does it helps to get that that just that a little bit of encouragement, that little bit of acknowledgement of, hey, I think you're on the right track. You have some things to improve. Let me give you my opinion. Right. Kind of. Yeah, that really concept. really goes a long way. And you know, just just to say, I want you to know that your show has been a major help just because hearing all these great engineers, their story and their struggles and how they overcame so many of their issues throughout their career. Your show has really helped me a lot, man. So I really appreciate you doing this. And I know you said before, like there's been times when you were like, I don't know if I should keep doing the show. Um, <laughs> and I'm so glad that you, you're, you're still doing it. Cause man, I look forward to it every Monday really. Cause it's, this is my life, man. So I love hearing everyone else's journey. So thank you for that. Well, thank you for that. And it's it's been helpful to me too, just to confess that all these people I talk to, every single person I talk to, I get something, there's something about them or their story that I get something out of that encourages me or gets me to think, hmm, maybe I need to try that or, mm -hmm. or just realize, okay, it's not all like wine and roses all the time. It's things can get a little rough. Yeah. And I too have had, you know, I mean, T Tim's great. And for the audience, Tim Palmer is a former WCA guest, probably best known for mixing Pearl Jam's Tin. He did Tears for Fears. He did so yeah. he's did so many great albums. He did the main reason why I discovered him was I was obsessed with this band in like my early twenties, this band called him, and he'd produced and mixed a lot of their albums. So that's how I heard about him. But yeah, he's just done so many great so many great records. Yeah. And he's such a, a nice and accessible guy too. And as, as we mm -hmm. say, you know, like all these people's stories and their encouragement can help, help us all out on a number of levels. So 
Is there anybody in your world that looks up to you in that mentor state that you try to take under your wing? No, no, but I mean, I, none that I know of, at least I've tried having interns here and there, but you know what? It just, it didn't work out for me because it ended up being, I have a lot of work, but at the time I just didn't have enough work to make it worth it or make any, I mean, I think anybody would really interested in, in staying on long-term just cause it's just like, wasn't, wasn't enough for them to learn really at the time, but I'm just very much a, a lone wolf in the studio. Like I said, mostly it's just, I'm here with myself doing mixing, mastering, production. And the times when I do have like a bigger metal client in the studio, every once in a while I'll ask, I'll ask like a friend of mine to come do, uh, cause I like to do photos uh, and videos or like behind the scenes stuff or just, it's another like perk that I started doing for clients. It's like, oh, hey, do you want photos and video of your session that you could use as content? So I'll have, I'll bring in people for that. Like people I trust, close friends but that aren't really trying to be engineers, but just people I know that understand the etiquette and, you know, they won't be talking the whole time. Cause that's like a, that's another thing that just didn't work out for me with like trying out interns. Like they just, some of them just didn't really get the etiquette, you know, and, and that's, it's hard to teach that. It's hard to like get through to some people like, look, yeah, there are certain times when you just need to not talk and you need to not ask so many questions. And then like after these, you know, when the client like walks out of the room or the artist isn't there, then yeah, ask me whatever. But I was just struggling with those kinds of things. The quiet intern is, is a good intern. Yes. Yes. The, or the quiet absolutely. assistant. Yeah. That's, that's a tough one. I think it could work out if you truly have something that you need help with. I know I provide more guidance when I have something that I need help with rather than just doing it for the sake of doing it. Right. Rather than saying, oh, I should bring in an intern. That would be the right thing to do. And then yeah. not having anything for them to do. Right. And a lot of the artists, or the the talent, they don't, a lot of them don't really like it because it's not really the norm these days. You know, a lot of the clients I work with and the bands I work with, they're used to coming into, you know, a private producer's, producer's suite or somebody They're you know, they're not going into like the record plant or East West where they have like interns on staff that are just there for every session. They're not used to that, or at least right now. So I've had sessions where at other studios when I need to track drums where the owner will just be like, Hey, do you mind if I have this intern sit in on your session today? I'm like, I'm fine with it. But I made, I made the mistake of not, I just totally spaced and forgot to mention that to the client I was working with for that, that session. And he wasn't annoying or anything, but he was just kind of like standing there trying to be out of the way. But basically what happened was like the next session without that, that artist, he basically asked me, he's like, Hey, can we not have that intern next time? I'm like, yeah, sure. No problem. <laughs> I just didn't, I just totally spaced on, I don't know. I, I spaced on that. I was like, I should have just, I should have asked him before the session, but I don't think a lot of artists like that. If they're coming in to work with you on a personal, like more intimate level on their tracking or their mixing or mastering or whatever, they want to be focused in with you, not necessarily any outside person they don't know. Cause it's, it is distracting even if they're just sitting there. Yeah. So I totally get that. As far as making a living and surviving, what's the state of that now? And, and how has it been in the past? Ooh, well, there was a period of time when I was still on the up and up and I still am, but there was a period of time where the work was just so scarce so I was like barely making it. And when I first moved in here, cause I've had, 
had a studio before this in Valencia, California. And then I moved out of that because like, I just wasn't making enough to afford it. So that was like pretty crushing. So I moved out of that one and then I, I got an apartment and I started working out of a bedroom. So I set up my mix suite there and I did the best I could with that for a few years. Then I moved to another apartment and did it in the bedroom. During this whole time, I'm working with all kinds of different friends, bands, and just various projects. So I was keeping going, but yeah, the money was just so up and down and scary, like really scary. And I think it just, a lot of it depends on, you know, your connections. If you're lucky enough to know a lot of people when you're getting into it and right away, you just have these great connections and you have people that trust you and want to work, they want to work with you and they're already pretty well-known bands and they have the budget, great. But for me, it took me a while to build up to the point where people will just inquire, they want to work with me, and they just pay whatever rate is my rate. So for a while, I was struggling a lot. And those were the years where I was like, I don't know. I don't know if this is worth it. I don't know if I can keep going because it's it can be humiliating, especially if you're in a relationship and you're not making much money and like you can't do things, you can't... like oh, you know, I know you really want to go on this trip, but it's just, it's not doable. You're, you know, having to explain to like your parents, like, well, so how much money you've been making lately? You've been doing this for a while. It's like, uh, not so great right now. And just having to explain that, like when you're in your mid to late twenties, it kind of takes its toll. And you're like, man, how much longer can I keep doing this? It was really crushing for me. And now I'm to the point where, I can select, I can pick and choose who I want to work with. And um, the pandemic really spiked my workload, which was surprising. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was just so up and up and down for a while. And I was, I was very discouraged, very down on myself. It makes you question everything about not only about your life, like, okay, why did I decide to do this? Like everyone was like looking at me like, what are you doing? You know, you've been doing, you've been trying to do this for so many years and you're still not, you're not making that much money. You don't have savings, like all this stuff. And it's like having to explain it to, it really, really can be a detriment to relationships. And for me, it definitely was. But now I'm at the point where, like I said, I can pick and choose and I'm very comfortable now. Honestly, it's, it's shocking that I'm even able to say that to you because for the longest time, I never thought I would get to the point where I can fuck off for a few months and I'll be fine if I wanted <laughs> yeah. to, you know, yeah. I, I don't, I don't have to work right now, but I, I'm so grateful that I decided to keep going. It's just, I knew at some point it would pay off and it's, it's paid off. And, um, I'm really glad I decided to not give up, but yeah, man, like it's, you know what I'm saying? Like oh, sometimes there's months where just, it's dry. Like I've had, there's been months where I've made no money and there's been months where I've made more money than I thought I ever would. It's like completely it's all over the place. Yeah, man. I'm just, I'm really grateful though that I was, I listened to my heart. I listened to myself and I was like, yeah, you got to keep going. It'll pay off. Just keep pushing through all the dark times, push through all the the struggle. Yeah, man. I, I know there was a time in my life when I got to confess, you know, I, I think I was bouncing checks like every week, just constantly, mm. you know? And, yeah. and then you, you just not paying attention to the money, not focusing on it, just really mm -hmm. trying to figure it out, but not really trying. And it there's comes to a point, I'm curious if this happened to you. You know, your your heart's in it, your your soul's into it musically and in the recording things. I think many of us, and I know I'm speaking from experience, 
don't focus so much on the business at, at first. And as a result, it catches up to us. And then there's an awakening when you're like, oh my God, I can't live like this. I have to like clean my act up. Did that happen right. to you? Oh yeah. Fortunately, I I educated myself with accounting and I have, I've always had a really good uh, CPA. So I wanted to make sure I was on top of all that from the very beginning. Yeah, I made some mistakes, some IRS mistakes uh, in the beginning. <laughs> oh, I've never, which I've never now, done that. <laughs> I have a system now, but yeah, there was definitely, um, it definitely caught up to me, but not in, not really in a financial way, but in, I would say more of a, okay, well, when are you going to start looking at this as an actual business? Because last year you didn't make any money on paper. Last year you had more expenses than an income because like it was a shit year. So when any, any like business person looks at that, they're just going to laugh at you. They're like, what are you doing? Which is true. But with anyone that does music for a living, it's kind of known like, okay, yeah, you're going to, you're going to have some bad years when you first start and then you just got to push through it. But yeah, I, I realized I need to start looking at it as much as I care about doing my best and taking care of the client and helping them if they're struggling budget wise, like I'm flexible, but at the same time now in this point in my career, I'm like, well, I have to look at it more of like, does this really make sense? Is this really worth it for me to take this on? As much as I want to help this this band or this artist, I can't really take those kind of risks anymore, especially now that um, I'm at the point where I don't have to take on a project, even if it's the music is really great and I really want to do it. If it doesn't make sense business-wise or financially, I, I'm, I kind of gravitate more towards not doing it. Because like like we yeah. just said, time is so valuable. Every day is just crammed with from when you wake up to when you get home to go to bed. It's just like nonstop. There's like never, there's never, well, there's never like a time to, besides I'll take my lunch and I take a few breaks in between while I'm mixing, but it's like, it's just crammed all through the week, Monday through Friday. And then I just also decided to, for many years I was working Saturday and Sunday as well. Cause mm. I was just like, I need to, I need to do better. I need to make more. I need to get it going but that caught up to me really fast really really fast so now i'm just like a monday through friday like nine to eight guy mm -hmm. but i grind i grind through the hours through the day i tell like clients yeah you can i'm done at 8 p.m so get me throughout the day anything you need but after 8 p.m like i'm not looking at my phone i'm not gonna answer your mixed notes you can email me and i'll get to it the next day but I have to set those boundaries for myself or it gets just, it's too much, but sorry, I kind of went off on a tangent there. No, yeah, no, that's um, <laughs> fine. It's nice to hear that you're, you're doing really well now. I mean, obviously like I have my goals uh, to where I want to be, but I'm, I'm just so grateful that I still have the studio. I'm still have clients that are happy, but yeah, I do have trajectory into the future as where I want to be. I'm curious if does working in the world of metal Broad stroke question, because I know there's all so many subgenres of metal. Does that present any challenges to you outside of, of the love of the music? I mean, technical challenges or or oh, anything yeah. like that? There's, there's a lot of challenges with, first of all, you can't really approach it in the same way, like traditionally as an engineer would with most genres. You have to break a lot of rules that a lot of engineers would look at my sessions and be like, why the hell are you doing that? Like, what the hell is going on? Because like to get those kind of results, 
there's just frequencies stepping all over each other. You have to really do extreme things in the mix to get that extreme result, if that makes sense. Like it's yeah. not just, oh, here's a li- I'll add a little bit of, you know, <laughs> just to like, I'll add like a DB of 8K and to make that kick stick out a little bit. It's like, no, it, it, there's so much going on. There's so much in your face all the time, especially with like the more like extreme and fast metal. Like that's why I like working on Doom because it breathes more and you don't have to necessarily, not everything is in your face at the same time. There's so many challenges because it's, it's very demanding performance wise. And, um, a lot of the, the up and coming bands, they think that it's all on the producer and the mixer to make them sound that way. Just because like a band will come to you and and say, Oh, well I saw that you did so-and-so and and I want, I want to sound kind of like that and like this other band or whatever. And then that that's already immediately like a red flag for me because these bands that sound so great it's not just the production it's not just the mix it's the performance it has to be rock solid and a lot of it's a lot of bands don't get that it's like it's you have to you really have to be a hundred percent at your instrument you have to really be a hundred percent have the experience because it's like if any of that is lacking then everything else is just gonna suck from that point on so i could go on and on about the challenges with metal, but it's just like, I feel like it, it's just basically you have to break a lot of rules to get those kind of results. And that's why I really, I really like Ayal, how he's doing the U, uh, URM and he's like teaching, he's doing all these metal classes with, with metal producers and showing those kind of techniques. What, what I love about that though, is he's actually using people that have done huge metal albums. It's not just like, some guy on YouTube saying, this is how you mix metal, but then you go and like do research on him and he's like barely done anything. It's like, why would I listen to you telling me how to mix this, you know, to mix metal like perfectly when you haven't really done anything? You know, why would I listen to, why would I take any of your advice? I mean, I, I watch so many YouTube videos, like I'm just infatuated with it, man. Like when I leave the studio, I'll get in my car and I'm watching some tutorial or listening to it as I'm like leaving the studio just because like I just love it so much. But but um, <laughs> like Eyal, he he really gets it. He understands. I, I love what he's doing with it. And we have to say, but, we're talking about Eyal Levy. Yeah. Unstoppable recording machine. Nail the mix. Mm-hmm. Former WCA guest. Really good at what he does. You know, it's funny you, t- you talk about taking information from somebody who just doesn't have any track record. It's like... Have you ever seen these life coaches that are like in their twenties and you're like, are you serious right now? Yeah. But the thing is like a lot of people will just give into it. They'll just buy it. You know, it's like, okay, do you, I guess. But (laughs) yeah, I mean, I think people that have been doing it for a long time, like we can, I respect that. Hey, if that's what you want to do and you want to go on YouTube and make tutorials on how to mix metal, even though you've barely mixed metal, it's not like I've worked with major bands or anything, but I've mixed a shitload of metal. I know what it takes, but it's like, I wouldn't go on YouTube and say, this is how you mix a hit metal record, or this is this is the only way to mix this kind of music. It's like, there are no rules, but, and that's another thing that I don't get is like a lot of these guys on YouTube with their courses, they're just pumping these things out, like so much content, so much content. And they're also claiming they're so great and they've mixed so much, they've mixed so many albums and they've done so much. And I'm like, how do you have time to do all that? You know, I struggle. Like people have asked me to like, are you ever going to do like a, 
a YouTube channel or do any tutorials is like, I would love to, but I just don't have time because I'm actually mixing records. Like it's, it takes up so much time. And to do these videos, to do them well, it takes so much time. And, and I really just don't does. have that time. Yeah. yeah. Well, we look forward to whenever you decide to make, make that decision and uh, carve that time out. But uh, we are out of time. I want to share with the audience, tell us what your website address is. It's alexcresioni.com. A-L-E-X-C-R-E-S-C-I-O-N-I.com. All right. We'll put that in the show notes. Any social media accounts that I have for you, I'm also going to add into the show notes. In awesome. If people want to reach out to you on LinkedIn or, or Instagram or whatever. It's been really great to talk to you. I'm glad that you could make time for me. I know you're busy, but appreciate the generosity with the time. Thank you again. Thank you so much, Matt. It's been a pleasure. Appreciate it. All right. Well, you take care. You too. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for, giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LPUNF. Alex Crescioni here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me today. If you like the show, please head on over to iTunes and leave a positive review, whether that's a five-star review or a, or a novel about how you feel about the show. Either way, it really helps the show out, and I really would appreciate it. That's all for me today. I want to thank the crew. That includes Anne-Marie Plow on the editing, Cliff Truesdell on the Working Class Audio theme song, and Mr. Chuck Smith with his lovely voice there at the top of the show. Connect with me on LinkedIn. And until next time, my friends, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.